most discussion around Spike Lee's 1989 film, uh, Do the Right Thing, circles around the question of the right thing in the moment when Mookie throws the garbage can through Sal's pizzeria window. Now, I think that's absolutely correct. I think that's exactly where our critical attention, at least in popular assessments of the film, uh, where, the, where our critical attention ought to be focused. Because really in that moment, we get the most visceral question of the right thing. It leads to, uh, uh, you know, it has death at the center of it, the death of Rahim, and a transformation of both the relationship between Sal and this small place, uh, the small corner of Brooklyn, and also the destruction of Sal's life in some fundamental way. We never learn, of course, what happens to Sal after that. That is, until uh, elements, uh, especially in the very final scenes of Red Hook Summer, a film I'll talk about in a uh, later uh, podcast bit. But that, uh, and we do learn in, in Red Hook Summer that Sal's Pizzeria in some way lives on, as does Mookie's uh, work for Sal as a delivery person. But I think there are other really interesting parts of Do the Right Thing that are interesting in the context of the film itself, but also because they indicate some uh, further horizons that uh, Spike Lee's films will open up. In this way, I, as, I, as I've said before, and I will uh, say and emphasize repeatedly, it's really important for me that we understand Spike Lee's films in a broad and long context because any individual film opens up a set of questions, as I have said many times, he opens those questions and leaves them in the interrogative for the most part. But uh, each film opens up a set of questions that are then answered or formulated with more precision across the film. I think the formulation of the question is, is part of the, the philosophical dimension of his cinema. But he also has questions that repeat across films and deepen, I think, a self-interrogation, both self-interrogation, Spike Lee as a thinker who tries to think through his cinema, but also Spike Lee as, a, as an African-American, right? Thinking about African-Americanness and thinking about black life and black people in new and complex, uh, increasingly complex ways. Each film may not be particularly complex. I think a lot of them have a kind of one to two dimensional character to them. But across time, when put in next to each other, we see the complexity begin to emerge, the sense of re-asking the same questions and opening new dimensions to the interrogative form of his own response to those questions. And there are three things that I want to talk about in this bit. I think it'll be short, but uh, really it's more uh, my recognition of or, or flagging of themes in Do the Right Thing. So horizons opened up and Do the Right Thing that become so important across the rest of his work. One is a phrase I'll use, and this is a phrase not in the normative register of what ought to be, but portraiture, right? That, again, Spike Lee is interested in putting black life on the screen, not in a, in a prescriptive way, not in a normative voice, but in a portrait voice, right? To, to draw uh, attention to dimensions of black life. And one of those is what I would, what I, a phrase I would use is women's work. 
right? And women's work that may or may not, in the case of Crooklyn, also be girls' work, but really women's work across his cinema. And we see that open up in this uh, and Do the Right Thing. Also the role of children in his work, um, very small but very, I think, important part of the uh, of do the right thing and then the uh, place of the police in his interrogation of black life and all of its forms this is incredibly important to me both the presence and absence of the police beginning with then first women's work this becomes in uh, the next film I want to talk about um, Mo Better Blues becomes an incredibly important theme and and really what I think has is, is been something he, Spike Lee has been criticized for. So I want to go into that criticism and the kinds of, of, of ways I would want to approach that criticism of his, his, his depiction of women's work. Uh, I do think it's always in portrait mode with, rather than uh, normative, and that really changes how we talk about it, in my view. But we see that uh, Horizon open up and do the right thing in really important ways, and it's on the edges of the film. I think most emphatically, we see Tina, Mookie's uh, girlfriend, uh, who's raising his child, right? And he has, uh, or their child, and he's only playing a partial role in that. It's not simply for me that Spike Lee is giving, drawing a portrait of a sort of single mother or a trope like that, but rather thinking about how, in relation to Mookie, this sense of women's work is behind closed doors. It's hidden from the world, right? That out in the street, there's all sorts of other stuff going on, but Tina, who's a woman and who is working, right? does women's work literally behind closed doors inside an apartment. And it's interesting the way those scenes are filmed. They're filmed in a completely different light than the rest of the film. It's darker, more shadow, uh, more shadows, uh, less clear, less distinct sort of visions, right? Of, of Tina and her life and the child's life. There's the sunlight through the window. And it creates some really beautiful shots and Spike Lee's, one of Spike Lee's few attempts at eroticism, right? When, when Tina and Mookie have sex and she, he draws ice over her body, it's, I, I, I mean, I find it a little uh, mailed in and a little awkward, but it's really not Spike Lee's forte <laughs> erotic depiction. But what's important to me in the scenes with Tina is the way women's work is in the shadows and behind closed doors. And I think Spike Lee is trying to draw our attention to that, you know, asking really the question, like, what does it mean to think about the work women do, not should do, but the work women do do as something behind closed doors and in shadows. This, I think, becomes very important also in Mo Better Blues, where it's brought more out into the light, right? But at the same time, is um, has this, this I don't want to call it clandestine or, or, you know, I'm not sure quite what the word is, but the phrase would really be behind closed doors and in the shadows. 
And bringing that out onto the screen in that way for me is a commentary at the level of portraiture. It's a, it's a commentary at the level of saying, you know, this is the kind of work we see, but we also don't see. So making it visible, but also hard to see is for me the way Spike Lee's camera thinks for us and draws us into a certain form of thinking in which then we can assess politically, socially, and culturally what it means and how to respond to it and how to think about it, how to transform it. But in the portrait, in the mode of portraiture, he's simply drawing and thinking with a camera, with light, and with place. On the other side of that, right, because Tina's a young woman, is mother's sister, the character played by um, Ruby D. And she plays the role of the conscience in the film. And I mentioned this previously, and again, it's a theme in Spike Lee's films of, of elderly people as the conscience of his films in so many ways, not always, and not always consistently uh, moral in their vision. But she is, you know, she sits uh, at her window, and she sits at her window as an observer. But she's a different observer than the DJ, played by Samuel L. Jackson, who is also an observer from his window. He's a loud observer. I mean, he's a DJ, so he's a loud observer. He's in the declarative mode. Um, you know, he is there to, to bring both music and, and intensity of passion, right? Outrage, anger, comfort, um, but in a playful way, like one, one would expect from a radio DJ. But Mother Sister plays a similar role, but her entire content is moral. It's not political. Right? She's not making, uh, uh, from her window, political statements, but she becomes a conscience anchor in the film. And I think her observations are really important there to understand that you can't just talk like broadly about women's work in Spike Lee's cinema, but you have to factor in generation and age to think about how generation and age uh, transform this idea of women's work. This does also become very interesting and important for me in what I think is the companion piece to do the right thing, Red Hook Summer. When I talk about Red Hook Summer, it'll be a moment to really come back to this, which is a film largely about multi-generations of women and the few men that hang around in, in those older generations as well. But we have a, a, another vision of women's work there that is deeply related to the kind of work that both Tina and Mother Sister do and do the right thing. The role of children, too, is really interesting in Spike Lee's cinema, and it's only kind of hinted at here in, um, in Do the Right Thing. What I like about this portrait of children is what I like about so much of Spike Lee's portrait, uh, portraits of childhood. That is that, you know, there, there is this broad question of, you know, what is black childhood? Is there such a thing? Or is the part of the function of anti-blackness in American society to eliminate the very category of black childhood. And I think Spike Lee wants to push against that while also acknowledging it. When we talk about Crooklyn, really that's one of the central questions, right? Does Troy, the little girl, ever have a childhood? And in what sense does she, in what sense does she not? In what sense is she born a woman? right, and therefore um, connected to women's work while also being a child. But Spike Lee, I think, doesn't want to, 
to make black childhood one-dimensional in that way, uh, totally under the erasure of um, of uh, anti-blackness and of, of of white racism and what white racism does to age and to um, to age and to to the idea of a child, right, attached to the word to the qualifier black. Because he, in, in resisting that one dimension, I think actually some of the most uh, exciting and vibrant parts of Spike Lee's films lie in the, 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 the role and the, the play of children on his screens. And it's really there in Do the Right Thing. Because children have this sort of uh, twofold function. One, he embraces their chaos. This is so important at the beginning and the end of, of Mo' Better Blues, so I want to anticipate that. But he loves their chaos and the way that children occupy these streets that we know are deadly, right? And how they're deadly is something that has a deep connections to the police. They're deadly. They're subject to the violence and genocidal impulses or ethnic cleansing impulses of what we call gentrification. I think gentrification is too kind of a word. So the, the streets of the police, the, the streets of, of ethnic cleansing in, in gentrification, and all sorts of other kinds of adult forms of violence. But they are also occupied by children. And I love that Spike Lee in Do the Right Thing and other films refuses to concede the neighborhood street to anti-black violence and to the violence between adults in the state, to black adults in the state. They also are occupied by children and the chaos and, and, and lightness of children's being is all over Spike Lee's cinema. It's really important to me to see it and do the right thing because it's part of how the film actually concludes. I think sort of iconically people think of the, the, the conclusion to do the right thing as the moment when uh, Sal's pizzeria burns. That's of course followed by a second scene, right? That, that the burning of the pizzeria is the penultimate scene and the, the, final, final, the final scene in terms of the moral arc and the political arc of the film is when, when Mookie and Sal meet you know, to talk about money. But then the actual final scene, like the final, final scene, is this amazing withdrawal of the camera, so pull back from the streets with the voiceover by the DJ, Samuel L. Jackson, talking about how it's going to be another hot day. But instead of that, it's going to be another hot day. Instead of that being, you know, more death is on the way, you know, more violence is on the way, it's actually the streets being repopulated. The very streets that were the site of so much terror and loss and sadness uh, of a riot right, and a police murder are reoccupied by children playing basketball, getting ready to play stickball, walking around. And they're children of all ages, right? They're small children, but they're also, you know, early teenager teenagers. Um, so for me, that moment of thinking about, you know, what what is the message of do the right thing? It's like the question of, you know, do the, doing the right thing is something one has to do always and that it accumulates over time and that people doing the wrong thing is so deeply connected to eruptions of violence and conflict. But also that idea, 
that in the final scene for me that uh, the not the idea the image of children playing in the street in the wake of catastrophe is this moment where Spike Lee's trying to say you know for all the seriousness of do the right thing the film and the commandment for all for all the seriousness of that there is also black life that is connected to carefree joy and that children embody that so do the adults in the film. I think it's really important the way the adults embody that in the film. But it has its, its, its chaotic form, and in the best way, chaotic form, in the place of children and, and do the right thing. So I love that children reoccupy the streets of violence at the end of the film. Not because it's an arc of redemption or that somehow the murder fades into the background, but the idea that life goes on not just in mourning, right, and loss, but also in joy and pleasure. That's ephemeral, right? There is nothing more ephemeral than a stickball game in the streets. But there is also nothing more joyful and meaningful and important to recognize as part of black life than that kind of pleasure. The other side of that pleasure, and this is again, Spike Lee doesn't really make a, ever make a film just about police violence. Right, any that I would call his like Spike Lee films. They're films about like detectives and so forth, but the real Spike Lee, Spike Lee films with his signature uh, sort of politics and, and cultural sensibilities. There's not a film that focuses on police violence, but the police show up in so many of these films and the way they show up and what it means is to me one of the most important features of his cinema because the police show up and they change everything. It's interesting and do the right thing because the police show up this moment where the children are playing with, uh, you know, they've, they've uncorked a, a fire hydrant and are playing in the water. And then a, a, you know, Italian guy drives by in his fancy restored car and yells at the kids, degrades them and all of that. Um, and threatens them and they flood his car. It's actually, I find it a really hilarious scene. And, and uh, when I replay it in the class, uh, students always laugh really hard. There's something really satisfying about that. All the anxieties around Sal as the Italian sort of ambiguous sort of semi-occupier presence in the neighborhood. There's something about sort of vicariously connecting to a revenge that's playful, right? That, that just floods the car and it makes you laugh. But then the police show up. And it's interesting when they show up, they tell the, the, the Italian guy, I, I don't think he even has a name in the, the film, uh, they just tell him to drive on, right? But they turn off the fountain. And there's something in that where initially the police come in and they're not going to harass the children, they're not going to take the side of the white guy. But at the same time, they turn off the water. And that turning off the water for me is is a, a, an image that that's lands across the film in multiple times in multiple ways because the police come there to steal pleasure they eventually bring death but they steal pleasure and they steal pleasure in this other scene where they show up and i think it's the most important scene in the film if you ask me even though it's not connected to the arc of of you know raheem's murder and and the riot after which is the police drive by and there are the three sort of middle-aged to older 
uh, men sitting and bantering and talking shit to each other. And the police drive by and the camera changes. It's one of the most amazing shifts of mood and pacing in the film. Because Do the Right Thing is so rapidly paced, right? The cadence of the speech and the, the, the interactions between the, the characters, everything's so, so rapid. And, and intense, and I love that. I mean, it's part of what the early Spike Lee is all about. It's about this, this intense pacing. Everything changes, the camera moves slowly. And the police in the car and the three men on the corner stare at each other. Spike Lee has a great way of filming that. It's this uh, moment, it's around 38 minutes in the film. This amazing uh, moment, and I really would recommend anybody listening go back and watch this scene where Spike Lee is able to make us feel like they actually are looking each other in the eye by uh, moving back and forth between the street corner and uh, the inside of the car. And that sense of meeting eyes, everything's slowing down, is this way that even the joy of these men who are having so much fun talking shit at each other, everything gets deadly serious. It's like they turned off their fountain as well, or their uh, hydrant as well, the hydrant of their joy, their joy and their presence in the street, on the street. And of course, the, the most decisive appearance of the police, which is when they murder Raheem. And what's important for me is not only that we always have to remember that the police murder Raheem, that's not Sal or his sons, it's the police, but then Sal and his sons pay the price for that, right, in some ways, um, as well as they pay the price for their own, uh, their own racism, right, Sal using the N-word and Pino um, you know, being, you know, openly racist inside the pizzeria. But what is most interesting, I think, to me is the way the police come in, kill, and leave. That is, not only do they take joy out of the neighborhood, but they also take justice out of the neighborhood. They take justice out of the neighborhood by killing Raheem, obviously. That's a tr basic trope of police violence, is they come and only bring death and terror rather than justice. But they're also not even there to mediate the aftermath to be a part of the aftermath. They triangulate the entire neighborhood every time they appear. But when they appear and they triangulate the neighborhood, they simply leave and the neighborhood is left to its own internal tensions because the police are both uh, interrupters with great violence of various kinds, taking joy, taking pleasure, and taking life. But then they leave, and when they leave, that for me is one of the most important scenes in the film as well. When we see from inside the car, the police car leaving, and the neighborhood is left to itself. Now I'm under no illusions that there's such a thing as the police staying and things getting better. That's not my point. My point is simply that when they leave, they're making a statement about the structure of the neighborhood in relation to the state. That is, the neighborhood in relation to any ideas of justice, of peace, right, of defense. The police are simply there to take joy, to take pleasure, and take life, and then they leave. And what they leave in their aftermath is the absence of what they took, and a community that simply has to deal with itself and its own internal senses of loss, whether it's just the loss of the fire hydrant, the loss of the play and pleasure of sitting with your friends on a hot day outside in the shade, or taking a life. The neighborhood has to then deal with that aftermath, and, uh, and 
there is no one to account for the destruction that they've wrought at multiple emotional and uh, levels of, you know, the ultimate level of taking life. Now, seeing the police recur across Spike Lee's cinema, I think is so interesting, you know, whether we're talking about, um, you know, get on the bus, which will uh, have a lot to say about the police there, uh, or Chirac, right, which, you know, in a more comedic kind of way, really, um, you know, interrupts the uh, flow of the film with the police. Like they're they're comedic in the sense of of they're just satirical. They're they're worthless. They're pointless. They're not. They they have no relationship to anything in the film. But we know, given the arc of Spike Lee's filmmaking, exactly what the police are, in reality, and in this sense, it's simply an entry-level portrait of the relationship of a state to a small place that is black, that is to steal joy, to steal pleasure, and to take life. <laughs>